0: Welcome to the Church of Creek today. I hope you came ready to have a good time and have fun. We we think church ought to be a little fun uh, around here, and I hope you came today to have a good time. If you're a guest, welcome. Uh, it's not every day you get to see your pastor in a wig and polyester pants. But today you got to see that. Uh, So if you're a guest, there's a Connect card like this in the seat pocket in front of you. Would you take a moment, pull that out, uh, fill it out, put your name and information there. We would love to get to know you better. uh, And just drop it in the bucket later in the service when it passes uh, from there. Also, a couple other things I want to call your attention to uh, on your worship guide that you received when you came in. Uh, We have an Egypt trip coming up for college students. So if you're a college student, uh, we have a trip to Egypt coming up this summer. We'd love for you to be a part of. Uh, Many of you have heard how God's been working in Egypt and been using our church uh, to impact that area and to share the gospel and make a difference there. So if you're interested in your college age, uh, you can uh, sign up there on your sheet by Send in an email to goglocal uh, at the church.at Or if you uh, would rather talk to someone just on your way out today, stop by uh, the booth, the kiosk as you leave. And we'll be sure to get you information on that. And then also coming up, uh, another trip we have coming uh, with the guy who was in the wig, known as our pastor, uh, later this year is a trip to Israel. Uh, He takes a trip to Israel every uh, year and would love for you to come be his guest and go with him. You can get more information on that by going to thechurch.at backslash Israel and sign up for that trip. He'd love to take you with him on that trip. And then finally, today uh, is the last day to sign up for our parent-child dedication uh, which if you don't know what that is, it's people that have had uh, children in the last year, two years or so, and, and they want to dedicate their children. But we don't view it so much as a child dedication as much as a parent dedication. So if you're interested in that, you can also sign up online at the backslash dedication and get uh, registered for that. Hey, would y'all welcome back to the stage our pastor.
1: This is that awkward moment where you're completely out of breath. And you're thinking you should have worked out for about eight years. So give me a second to catch my breath. We're going to sing another song. Today, what we're doing is we are wrapping up this Love Revolution series that we've been in for four weeks. This is the fourth week. And I hope you've been with us throughout this series. And if you've not been with us, so we say this all the time but I mean it with all my heart in this series. If you missed a week or you weren't here, I want you to take the time to go online and watch uh, whatever part you missed and interact with those scriptures and those truths that we gave you throughout this series. And, and if you missed any, go back and do that. We've put the notes, by the way, on the URL. Notes. The church. At. And so if you've got a tablet or a phone or uh, some sort of device that you follow along on, if you will learn to take your notes on that, A, you'll have it everywhere you go, which you might not with a piece of paper, but B, we will email you uh, different thoughts throughout the week and different... Uh, Parts of the sermon that didn't make it into uh, the sermon for whatever reason, so other research. So we'll give you further study, and so we'll continue this conversation through that site, notes.thechurch.at. Okay? And all four parts that we've been talking about on this image, remember this image that we've looked at for the last several weeks, that it begins with God loving us, us loving God, we love others, and then today we're wrapping up with we love each other. And each of those parts, fit together in this wheel and uh, this cycle called this love, love, love revolution. And before I recap where we've been for just a minute, I want to tell you a little bit about where we're going uh, over the next several weeks. I don't know if you have sensed like I have sensed, but many have, that The Holy Spirit is moving with some real freedom in our church over the last five weeks, and in fact, almost 300 people have given their life to Christ in the last five weeks in our church, which is a pretty big church. And uh, we, we watched that play out, we're rejoicing in that. And so on Monday afternoon, I was meeting with some of the creative team and some of the content team, and I just, just confessed with them, I don't feel piece about where we're going and what we have slated on the docket for the next series, maybe two. And we're about to start a series next week on really tough issues, and we're going to take four of the toughest issues in our culture today and say, what does the Bible have to say about it? We're going to do that. We're going to come to it, but we're tabling it for now. In fact, we're tabling not just the next series, but the next two series, and we're putting them on the shelf because I just sense that the Lord is giving us a detour, and he's taking us a different direction. And, And so Monday night, I was praying most of the night uh, through the night, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit stopped me. It was not a regular occurrence for me, by the way, to pray all night. But, but that is where I was on this past Monday night. And I sensed two things that the Lord kept saying to my spirit over and over. Number one, set the sail. And the wind blows where it wants to. The Holy Spirit blows when and where he wants. You cannot control that. You do not manufacture wind. You just simply set a sail to catch it when it blows, uh, to ride the wave of God's presence and God's ministry. And and then the second one is remember. He just kept saying to my heart, remember, remember, remember. And so we're going to call this series Remember. And and as I thought through setting the sail and remembering who we are as a church, I'm not talking about our church, I'm talking about the kingdom church and and the church of God of Christ. across the globe, uh, remembering the beginning of the church and and when the wind did blow and when the fire did uh, do what it did. And by the way, anytime you take fire and wind and you put them together, the result is uncontrollable. And and what I'm praying for is an uncontrollable revival in our midst. And and I just sense that the Lord is saying, hey, just stop and, and let's just pause and listen to the Holy Spirit. And so we're just gonna read together beginning next Sunday for eight Sundays in a row The book of Acts. And we're just going to go verse by verse. And when the Lord says, stop and talk, we're going to stop and talk. And when the Lord says, get up and sing, we're going to get up and sing. When the Lord says, pray with somebody next to you, pray. And so we're just going to go into that moment of remembering who we are as the church birthed by the giving of the Holy Spirit of God. And we're going to lean on it. So I'm real excited about it. In fact, I'm real encouraged that the Lord is calling us to this. And I I have no doubt that what God's wanting to do is as much in me as it is in our church. And and so we'll we'll just flow and we'll see. So you be praying. Your homework this week is Acts 1 through 3. You read it over and over and over again. Okay? And and, uh, just till next Sunday. And so if you read all three every day, read it all three every day. If you want to read just a little bit so that you read it all once this week, whatever, set your pace. But let's begin to pray about what God is going to do in our midst and that we would stay super sensitive to the direction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Okay? And so let's recap where we've been the last four weeks. And when we talk about this love revolution, it started at the beginning of this thing with God loves us, right? And that's good, good, good news. You and I don't have to kickstart this revolution. He kickstarts it. And it begins with him loving us. I showed you this verse almost every week in the series, Romans 5, 8, that God showed his great love for who? For us, right? He showed it for us. How did he do that? By sending his son. For what purpose and to do what? To die. When? When? while we were still sinners. In other words, Jesus came for us while we were still his enemies and still against him to die for us. It begins with God's love. This whole revolution, in fact, any love revolution really begins with the love of God, right? And then we also looked at this passage in 1 John 4:10. This is real love. And in case you want to know what real love is, the Bible makes it very, very clear. This is real love. What? Not that we love God. We didn't start this. God started it. But that he loved us us. How? He sent his son as a sacrifice to take away the sins of the world. And so it begins with God loving us. He made the first move. He sent Jesus, his son in flesh to die for our sins. And when we believe in him and we believe on him, he takes our sins and he takes them away and he makes us right with him. Which leads us to the next part in this love revolution. That once we're made right with God, you and I can really love him. Which is the second stop on this wheel. We loved God. And if you missed part two, go back and watch part two where I talk about who we are as spirit, soul, and body. And how that works together. And how to love God with all of your being and all that you are. Uh, We looked at this passage in Mark chapter 12 where Jesus said you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the first way we express our love back to God is by loving others. People, which is the third stop in this revolution, we love others. And we spent the whole week last week talking about loving others. We went to that text on the Good Samaritan, and we talked about how we're to love even our enemies. And the first way we do that is by loving people. We love God. We love others. That's real love. And in Mark chapter 12, Jesus uh, Christ is, is answering this question. And the question of the day is, what is the greatest commandment? The elders and the teachers and the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, they were all debating this over and over and over again, and they were trying to trap Jesus with this question. In that culture, listen, there's 613 commandments, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. And, and how on earth could you or me or anyone even in that day keep all of those commandments? And so if you can't keep every commandment, then the question is beg, which one or which ones should we obey? And Jesus' answer to that question is so great. And Jesus' answer to that question is so simple. And here's what he said, love God and love others. Love God and love others. Look at this passage in Mark 12. Let's just read the whole context of verses 29 through 31. But because at the beginning, Jesus answers and says, this is the most important. This one is. And he says, listen, O Israel, the Lord your God is the one and only Lord. Lord. And he said, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. And he didn't stop there. He goes and says, and the second is equally important. you got to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And in that passage in Mark, he goes on and says, no other commandment is greater than these commandments. Matthew's version of this very story where Jesus answers this question, at the end of Matthew's version, he says, and all of the law and all of the prophets hang on these commandments. They hang on these commandments. In other words, if you just love God and you love others, you will keep all of the law. And here's how that works. Real love is what God shows us. It was a sacrificial love. It was a selfless love. It is a serving love. And God loved us by giving his son and giving his life for us. So we follow the example of God and we love God back with everything that he deposited in us. But it doesn't stop there. We then imitate the love of God by loving other people. Philippians chapter 2 is one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. In verse 5, it says that we are to follow Christ's example. Well, what's the example of Christ? The example of Christ on the cross is a sacrificial, selfless, and serving love. Now, just because we uh, love others or we love our neighbors or we love our enemies or we love someone, the love revolution doesn't stop there. It keeps going, right? God continues to love us. Then we love him back. We love others and we love each other. And this revolution just keeps going and going and going and going. When we love others like God loves them, we get... A more complete picture of what God's love is really like. And so, consequently, we love Him more. And consequently, we love others more. And consequently, we love each other more. Look at how 1 John explains this. I I introduced a second ago to you on the TV there. 1 John chapter 4. If you got your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 4. And let's look at this text in in verse 11. uh, and, And we'll read it together. And if you got your Bible, open it. If you got a device, Thumb over to it, and if not, then follow along on the notes page that I gave you. And and I want you to mark up these verses of Scripture so that you can engage with them uh, at another time. But in verse 11 is where we're going to start. And Listen to what he says. Dear friends, since God, remember this all begins with God, loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and His love is brought to full expression in us. Underline that phrase, full expression. Some of your translations are going to say perfected. The love of God is perfected in us when we love other people or it comes to full expression in us. That Greek word is Tetelomen, T E. T-E-L-E-M-O-N. telamon, And what that Bible word means, it is to perfect or to bring to completion or to accomplish or to finish. It is the same root word as the Greek word tetelestai, which is what Jesus said on the cross when he declared it is finished. It's perfected, it is completed. And by the way, that Greek word translated perfected is in the perfect tense. And there's no pun intended there in the Greek. The word meaning perfected is in the perfect tense. I've been teaching you about the Greek. And if you don't remember what the perfect tense in the Greek means, I want you to write it down right now so that you have it. The perfect tense in the Greek, here's what it means. It is a past tense completed act that has a present result it is a past completed act that has a present result now watch this play out Jesus Christ's work on the cross is a completed act which is why he can say it is finished and that work on the cross was the greatest expression of the love of God that the world has ever seen but its actual results for you and me are today In the present. And so it's a past act with a completed act that has a present active result in our lives today. Jump down to verse 13. And look what he says there. God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he lives in us. In other words, uh, he deposited the Holy Spirit. Last week when we looked at the Good Samaritan, we said that parable where he gave a deposit for him at the end and said, I will come back and get him. The picture uh, of Jesus is that he gave us the deposit. What's the deposit he gave us? The Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, if I give you another one like me, the paraclete, who's going to come alongside, it will be the Holy Spirit and it will be to, for me to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And the whole proof that Jesus gives us that he's coming back to complete what he said is the gift of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And God is saying that he's given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. And he brought that into our lives. His love was brought into our lives. Love for each other is what a Christian should produce. And when you look at agriculture, an apple is what an apple tree should produce. Love for the body of Christ is what a Christian should produce. Produce. It is the fruit of your salvation being worked out into your lives. And our love, according to Paul, grows more and more perfect because we are being shaped into the image of Christ. And the whole point of the love revolution is Jesus, right? He's at the center of it. The cross of Jesus Christ, that means uh, that that Jesus is in the middle and He makes all of this love revolution possible to begin with. And so it's in the cross that God loves us. And it is through Through the cross that we are able to love God back and it's in the power of the cross that we can love others. It's all about the cross and it's all about Jesus Christ and it's the ultimate expression of real love. Look down at verse 17 and it says we live in God or as we live in God our love grows more perfect and so if you are habitually loving each other that is a sign that the Holy Spirit is alive in you. But if you're habitually complaining and griping and whining about the body of Christ, then you have a question to ask yourself, is the Holy Spirit alive in me? Is he actually alive in me? You need to do some diagnostics because, by the way, it's going to be one thing or the other. Either you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, and in other words, you're not saved, or you do have the Holy Spirit in you, and you are gr- grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit with a hard heart. Either way, it's a big deal. One of my friends took her, her baby to the doctor a few weeks ago, to a specialist. And, and the doctor, the specialist said, we've done all the tests, we've done all we need to know, we've, we know what we need to know, and we have narrowed this down to it's either A or B. And if it's A, this is the treatment plan. If it's B, this is the treatment plan. Either of which, we're not sure which it is yet, but both are very, very serious, but each is going to be treated differently. It's a different treatment plan. And the same same thing is true with our lack of love for the body of Christ. It's one of two things. One of two things is going on, but they are treated very, very, very differently. And as we finish our look at this love revolution, that's what I want to look at today. So flip over to First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians chapter four. And we're going to look at this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and, and- He's giving them advice and and the verse that I looked at earlier is right out of this chapter and he's giving them advice and I think Paul provides a great antidote to the problem of this lack of love for the body of Christ. Look look at verse 9. We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other. Underline that phrase loving each other. For God himself taught, I want you to underline that phrase, for God himself taught, okay, because I'm going to come back to both of these phrases and explain them to you in just a second. To love one another. And so that word, for loving one another, that's the Greek word, I bet you'll recognize it, it's the Greek word phileia which is where we get our word Philadelphia. And Philadelphia is known as the city of brotherly love. That's what phileo is, the the brotherly love. And and so this phileo that Paul is talking about here to the church at Thessalonica is you love each other with this phileo love. It is different. It's a different kind of love than you love your friends with. It's a different kind of love than you love your neighbors with. It's a different kind of love than you love those who are far away from you. This is a brotherly love. It is a family love. Love that he's talking about that is to be present in the church. Now, where did they learn that love from? Look at your Bible. Where did they learn that love from? I didn't hear that, baby, but somebody else answered. Where do we learn that love from? Where? From God. That's what the Bible says, that we learn this from God. God Himself taught you this, is what the Bible says. And that whole phrase, God Himself taught you this, in the Greek, is just one word God taught. This is God taught. It is an adjective, and it means that God and God alone taught them this— I want you to understand this is the only place in the whole Greek Bible this word appears. The only place that this deal is such a big 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 deal that God got involved in this and he taught it to his children. In other words you didn't get this from Paul. You didn't get this from studying the scripture. You didn't get this from some discipleship track. We don't put you through some course to help you learn how to love the body of Christ. Jesus taught you that. God taught you that and he deposited that in your Holy Spirit and when God's Holy Spirit came into you he taught your spirit how how to Love the Body of Christ. Now, I've got two girls, and i got two boys in, in my home. And, and they're very different, okay? Boys and girls obviously are very, very different from one another. My boys, when they were little, they're, they're like 19 or 20 months apart. And so from a very, very young age, they, they fought. And they would get really, really rough with each other. And, they, you know, they would wrestle with each other. And, and, and they would go at it. I would come home from work. And we had, you know, we had, at that time we had three kids that were five and under. And so Meredith was exhausted. You know, and I'd come home from work and, and come home from the church, and she'd say, Could you just wrestle the boys? Just get in the floor and wrestle all the energy out of them, wear them out, because they have been wearing me out, right? And, and, and so I would get on the floor and wrestle with them and wear them out, and, you know, they would take a bottle and go to bed or what. But they would just perturb one another. On a regular basis, you'd put their car seats next to each other, and they'd just reach over to each other's car seat. And it wasn't filet kind of brotherly love going on there. It was, how can I aggravate my brother, right? And, and, and so we would, that's when we got a vehicle with three rows, so we could put one chair in the very back. And one and They couldn't even see each other, right, in, in the car. And, and now when they wrestle and now when they fight, somebody always gets hurt. And, and when one gets hurt, they both get hurt right? Because the other one's going to retaliate. They have enough of their mama in them that they're going to (laughs) retaliate. And they're going to hurt each other. So this last week we had a, you know, a man talk. And the man talk, I sat him down. I talked to both boys. I said, boys, hey, you you guys, when you were younger, A, I didn't have to teach you to love each other. Okay. The day Ben came home from the hospital, Eli loved Ben. And I didn't have to teach that. That was in his heart. And You know, at a very early age, somebody would pick on Ben and Eli would beat him up, you know, and we would all thank him and we would would praise him and would say, That's how we do it in his family, right? (laughs) Jesus' love for each other, right? And and, and so we would work this thing out. And so we didn't have to teach you, but when you fought, when you were babies and you were little boys, you weren't strong enough to hurt each other and your memory was, you know, being formed. And so you don't remember it, but now you are of the age that when you fight, somebody gets hurt. And when somebody gets hurt, they both get hurt. And now you're of the age where you will remember this. And what happened, and I was introduced to this a few weeks ago, a month ago, six weeks ago at my brother's wedding, but because he was telling one of his friends that I just introduced myself to as Paul's brother. And, and Paul came up and was talking to him. He didn't know I was listening. He said, Man, he was mean. I said, I just introduced myself as the pastor. And he said, man, he was mean brother, you know, and he, and he said, he talked about a couple of times that I held him down and punched him in the chest and whatever and spit in his face and, 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 and some other things that brothers did. I was just joking, by the way, as a kid. I had no malice in my heart towards my brother, but apparently 40 years later, my brother remembers this and has been hanging on to it. So we're going to get counseling. But in this process, I'm talking to my sons and I'm saying, boys, you need to pay attention to this. You need to understand this, that one of you gets hurt, and both of you get hurt. You are of the age where you will remember this, and this you can carry this. And now you're of the age where you will carry this maybe the rest of your lives. And you're going to need each other. You are brothers. You will need each other. You want to be good friends all of your life. In fact, I went on with the illustration, and I said, in fact, when you're old, it may be your brother who's wiping your butt. Which is a great illustration for an 11-year-old boy. Because all attention was gone now and, and, and went into all kinds of jokes and bodily functions and all of that. And, and, and so we, we walked through it. In fact, Ben said, no, mom, I'll wipe my butt." I said, no, your mom be dead and gone. And we're talking about this whole thing. And so we're having this conversation. Why? Because when a baby is born, we don't have to teach it to love its mom. And we don't have to teach the mom to love the baby, right? And that's the same thing is true with siblings. But as we grow older, we can do things to annoy our brothers and our sisters. And we can get annoyed by them. We can get offended by them. And we can annoy them or we can offend them. And as we grow older, there is a tendency to lose that family love. And Paul knew that. And so Paul's reminding them, and he's saying, that family love, you got to keep it going. What God put in there, you keep it alive and you keep it present so that they don't grow cynical towards one another and they don't grow bitter with each other. And and listen, that's why, you know, we, we talk about people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and, and sometimes we'll use the phrase wh- with older people and we'll say, that's an old crotchety man, right? Or that's an old crotchety woman. And we don't have those here. We have lovely old men and women, right? But but in, in some places you meet them and you will describe someone and say, that is a crotchety old man. And what do you mean by that? I, I'm telling you what happened to that man. What God put in him, he, he let get washed away by life. They've experienced enough pain, enough wounds, enough life, enough disappointment by brothers and sisters in Christ that they become this crotchety human and they're no longer sensitive and teachable and pliable to the Holy Spirit of God in their lives. And this whole thing, this family love, this loving each other is so incredibly important for the body of Christ. Because our testimony rides on it according to Jesus. Look look down at verse 10. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. That's what the Bible says. In other words, what he's saying there, don't miss what he's saying. He's saying, church at Thessalonica, listen, your love is famous. It goes beyond boundaries. It is overflowing into other towns and other communities and other cities, and, and which is the heart of T.C., right? That's the heart of TC, that it's not locked into one church, that it would flow out into our city. It would flow out into our country. It would flow out into our world and into cities and communities like Tulsa and Chicago and and Cairo and beyond that, that our love for one another, but it has to start at home. It has to start in the church, loving each other. And, And if we, as a church, lack love for each other, then it won't flow out. That love won't flow out. It has to start here with us loving each other before it goes out the door into the lives of other people. Now, look at verse 11. Because in verse 11, Paul is is talking here, and he's starting to address those issues. And this verse is so interesting. I I mean, the grammar is very, very interesting. Verse 11, look what it says. Make it your goal to live a quiet life. That's so interesting. Because those two verbal phrases uh, really contradict one another. That on the one hand, you got this loud verb, and on the other hand, you have this very quiet verb. And that first verb is this big verb. It's an ambitious verb, it is a loud verb. And the next verb is this quiet, quiet life. It's a quiet verb and a soft verb, and an understated verb. In other words, write this down. Here's what Paul's saying live quietly and love loudly. Live quietly and love loudly. And Paul wants these new Christians, listen, in their new relationship with the Lord, to love each other and be loud with their love towards each other. But be real quiet when it comes to criticism or when it comes to disagreement. And by the way, it's human nature to do the exact opposite, right? Because if I disagree with you, then I'm going to let you know really, really loud But Paul's words for that, and by the way, he has an antidote for it. Look at what he says again in verse 11. He says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business, working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Let me give you the redneck version of that. Shut up, mind your own business, and get back to work. That's what Paul said. Shut up, mind your own business, and get back to work. That's basically what he's saying. Not me, Paul. That's Bible. I'm going to start using that in all my counseling sessions. Why don't you shut up, get back to work, right? Use your hands and get back to work. Here's the point. There's so much that we can disagree about in the church, And that is okay. Listen, there are doctrines and theologies and interpretations that we could disagree about. And we can disagree about music. And we can disagree about lighting and chairs. And there there are whole blogs, by the way, dedicated to worship music that says this style is the one that honors God. And everything else is demonic, right? And then you read another blog and it's the exact opposite of that. But the truth is this. We can disagree about those things in love. And what brings unity is Jesus Christ, and he is what unites us. But we can disagree about a lot of things, but we agree on Jesus. And he is the center of this church, and he is the center of this love revolution that we are talking about. And, and so, we got to agree on the core doctrines. Well, what are the core doctrines? What are what are the core beliefs? Well, we believe in one God, right? We all agree about that. We believe in one God. We believe that he reveals himself in the Bible, the Word of God. We believe that he sent his son. What's his son? His son's name is Jesus. To come here, and when he came, he was God in the flesh, and that he came to earth, and we believe he lived a sinless life and he died up on a cross for your sins and my sins. And we believe after the third day that he rose again. And now he sits at the right hand of God, the father. And after that, there are a lot of differences and a lot of disagreements and a whole bunch of questions. In fact, Paul wrote this whole letter to the church at Thessalonica because they had questions. And they were having some debates and they were having some discussions. They had all sorts of questions about end times and about the rapture. They wanted to know what would happen when they died. And Paul sends them this letter. But by the way, this letter didn't solve their debate. And it didn't solve their questions. He had to send them a second letter, right, called Second Thessalonians. The point is we have all kinds of questions. We have all kinds of debates and little doctrines. We have, we have questions about beliefs about end times and, and what's going to happen. When is Jesus coming back and who is the Antichrist and all those kinds of conversations, right? We have questions about all kinds of things. And in fact, I have conversations in Tulsa and I hear this statement and you don't hear it anywhere else really. Almost nowhere in the world do I hear this statement, but I hear it in the Tulsa context and it's peculiar actually. But I'll be talking to somebody and they'll be talking about this nationally, nationally known teacher that they're watching on TV or they're watching on the Internet or whatever, and they'll mention. A couple months ago I heard someone say Joyce Meyer. I was listening to Joyce Meyer, and she was teaching, and she said da-da-da, and then they put this parentheses in there. Now, I don't agree with everything she says, but she said this and this and this, and it was good. Or, or I'll hear it about other teachers, you know, and they'll say, so and so say, now I don't agree with everything they said. That is such a peculiar parenthesis to add into a sentence about uh, somebody who's teaching, you know, the, the Bible or whatever. It's so peculiar because it's just assumed in my heart, right? I assume that. Who else do you agree with everything they teach? My own wife doesn't agree with everything I preach. She still gets to live in my house, right, and and be in my family and be a part of the church and a part of the kingdom of God. Who on earth would say something and you would go, I agree with everything they say and everything they teach? Nobody. That's not true of anybody's. except for Jesus, right? That we agree with everything that Jesus has to say. We got questions around here all the time about spiritual gifts. That's one of the biggest ones we get in in the Tulsa campuses, right? Because we got some people in our church who think that you're not filled with the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. And we got people in our church that think if you speak in tongues, you likely have a demon. (laughs) And here's the deal. They sit right next to each other and they worship God together, and they love each other, and they serve the body of Christ. Why? Because they know those are not the most important things. Jesus is the most important things. And when we get Jesus right, and when we put Jesus at the center of our lives, all these other questions and debates, they don't matter in the same way. They don't. And I'm not saying they don't matter. I'm saying they don't matter in the same way way. And, and there are all kinds of debates and disagreements that we can have here. Listen, uh, take politics, for instance. we got people in our churches who are diehard, committed Republicans, right? And we got people in our churches that are die and committed Democrats. And, and, and then we got independents who may be the smartest people in all of our rooms, right? Because they know neither political party really is looking out for you. You're fooled to believe that, right? But they're looking out for themselves. But A couple of months ago, I went to the joint session of Congress and and got to be one of the special guests who got to be in the room when Benjamin Netanyahu spoke to both Senate and Congress. And and the only person who have ever addressed the joint session of Congress three times other than Benjamin Netanyahu is Winston Churchill. So it was history being made. And, And sitting in that room, and here's one thing I learned from my visit for a couple of days back to the Capitol is that if we want real solutions, we need Jesus. We need Jesus in the middle of this. Because, listen, the Republicans don't have all the answers. And neither do the Democrats. But we can all agree that Jesus is the answer to all of the world's problems. All of them. And we can disagree about politics, but quietly but let's be really, really, really loud about our love for each other. We can disagree with one another about how to parent, right? We got some stay-at-home moms who think it's a core conviction to stay at home with the children every day of their lives, right? And we got other moms who work in the workplace and and, and go and do work, and both of them are awesome because they love Jesus, right? And we got kids in our church who have been homeschooled and whose parents are highly convicted about we need to school them and educate them at home under Christian conviction. And we got parents in our school and our church who send their kids to public schools. And you know what? Both sets of those kids can change the world if they just follow Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? We can disagree about what TV shows to watch and not watch. We can disagree about what foods to eat and not eat. Well, what, what, what music to listen to. What car to drive. We can disagree about all There's a whole list of stuff that we can disagree about that does not matter. But the one thing that actually matters all the time is Jesus and that we love each other according to Jesus. In fact, Jesus' final prayer on this planet and John chapter 17 is where it's recorded in case you want to look it up this week. In John 17, right before he goes to the cross, his final prayer, he's praying, and, and he's praying this prayer on earth. They call it the pastoral prayer of Jesus. And you know what he prayed for? Unity. He prayed that you and I would be one in the same way that he and the Father are one. Now, don't miss this because I don't want you to misunderstand what unity is and what unity isn't. Unity does not mean uniformity. It does not mean that we all agree about every little thing. It it means that we are unified, right? In fact, let me just give you my definition of unity as it relates to the body of Christ. Unity means that we love each other even when we disagree, and we will. And, And it means that we overlook our differences, And we settle our disagreements. And we love each other. And by the way, one of the best ways to do that is to do work together. That's why Paul said, work with your hands. To do something together with another person in the body of Christ to help someone else is great medicine. One of the reasons we do things like TC Toys and projects like Clean Slate and Safe Harbor and all of those. Things. Listen, we do those things to minister to those outside, but something happens to those inside when we do those things together. And so we are giving you an opportunity to serve together and to love each other and you get your hands dirty. And listen, I, I, I watch it. I watch groups of you that went to Israel together out in the hallway and you kind of move like an eight-year-old soccer team, you know, like a, in a pack. And I've watched groups of you who've been to Egypt together, and I've watched those of you who've been to Haiti together and went during the earthquake. And you end up forging these relationships by going on those trips and doing those projects and doing those ministries together. And it's one of the reasons we do those things. And you get your hands dirty by helping other people together, and you end up loving each other. And you end up making strong connections with each other. And there is something about working together and sweating together that binds us together as the body of Christ. And some of you are sitting right here, and you got friendships and you got connections because you serve together in a clean slate in a hot, sweaty Oklahoma summer. And that's why you have that friendship. And you might have, in that clean slate, disagreed about what color the flower pot should be. You did. I watched it happen. And I saw on a couple of occasions, I thought the conversation was going, hey, can we go outside? (laughs) Well, the innocent person, unbeknownst to them, we're decorating their whole house for the good of them and for the love of Jesus, right? And we're disagreeing about the color of flower pots and the color of the carpet and the color of the art that should go up on the wall. But but there is something about serving together and helping others that does something in your heart. And it transforms you. Here's what Paul says will happen when we love each other. Look look at verse... uh, 12. Look at verse 12 and look what he says. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying those people out there, they will see your love for one another and they will know you are Christ Christ followers, and they will see that you love each other, and they will be changed as a result of that. It's the exact same thing that Jesus said in John chapter 13 and verse 34. Uh, When I taught Eli this verse, you know, we didn't have it in writing. We're driving down the road in the car, and I'm teaching him this verse to memorize this verse of scripture, John 13, 34, which says, so now I'm giving you a new command, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. The first time I was teaching Eli that verse, he looked at me and said, we just said that love one another. Why we got to say it again? I said, well, Jesus is clarifying this whole thing that you love one another with this new commandment. But as I've loved you, he's clarifying how to love one another. As I have loved you, you love one another or you love each other. And in verse 35, he goes on to say, your love for one another, don't miss what he says, will prove to the world that you are my disciples. In other words, it's not doctrine that's going to prove that you're my disciples. It's not apologetics or some theological debate that's going to prove to the world out there that you and I are the disciples of Jesus Christ. It is going to be, according to Jesus, our love for one another will prove that we are the disciples of Jesus. So that means that the gospel going out to the whole world is dependent upon you and me loving each other. That's why this is so important, and that's why it's such a big deal. When we love each other, we're showing the world a picture of Jesus Christ. We're showing the world that Jesus is the center of God's love for them, and that the cross is at the center of God's love for them. When we love each other with the same sacrificial and selfless love that God showed us, we are showing the world a picture of who Jesus is. What happens in a church where they stop loving each other? Anybody ever been there? Man, it gets ugly in a hurry, doesn't it? I mean, it's not even a gradual slope at that point. I mean, it just is like a slide with a grease pig on it. I mean, it it just gets really, 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 really ugly and really fast. You know what happens in those churches? You want to go to a church like that? You don't, Right. What happens to the testimony of Jesus in a town when a church treats each other that way? And when his children fight in that way? Listen, there are people who are sitting at home. I'm going to talk to the camera for a second. Right now, you're sitting at home and you're not at church because someone in a church said something to you in a way that was harmful and was hurtful. Or there are people out there that you used to go to church and you weren't even in the fight. You just saw the fight. And you saw the disagreement. And and you said, I don't want anything to do with that thing called church. No, I don't want anything to do with it. This is why this is so important. Listen, this is so important to the degree that God did not delegate the teaching of this to pastors. And he did not delegate the teaching of this to priests. He did not delegate the teaching of this to Sunday school teachers. It is such a big deal. Deal that God said, I myself will teach that. I will teach it in the hearts of my children. And at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit will teach that in you. Now, think back to when you first started following Jesus. It's so fun to watch when all these people first come to Christ and, and they're full. They're full of what? They're full of love. They're full of love for everyone and for all people. And we got to get back to what God deposited in our spirit and work that out in our soul and into our lifestyles. This is the point at which you have to ask yourself some really, really, really tough questions. And you got to get serious at this point and take a look inside and do some real soul searching and allow God to search you. Allow God to do the searching. In fact, I just want to ask you a question. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but all of our campuses, I just want you to be honest with the Spirit of God. And I want you to be honest with yourself. And I just want to ask you this question, and it's a yes or no question. Do you really feel true, authentic love in your heart for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Do you really feel that kind of love for each other? And do you feel that same self-sacrificing and other-serving love of Jesus for for the body of Christ? Yes or no? Do, Do you feel that or are you easily offended by your brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you easily annoyed those in Christ? Do you find that your love is lacking for the body? And if that's the case, if you don't have the love of God in your heart towards the body of Christ, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, then you go back to that diagnosis. It's one of two things. And I've mentioned it twice already today. Either one, you don't really have the Holy Spirit in your heart. You're not saved. And we can take care of that today. Or the second thing is that you do have the Holy Spirit in your heart and you're grieving Him or you're quenching Him or you're shutting Him out with a hardened heart. But both of those are very, very, very serious. I mean, it's like going to the doctor and they say, We don't know if this is viral or bacterial. They're both very serious, but they're different ways to deal with it. We've got to deal with this in different ways. And I just want to ask you to, at all of our campuses, would you just take your Bible and take your notes and stuff, but would you just lay them on the chair, take your cup of coffee or, or, or your iPad or whatever, and just set it on the chair and across every single one of our campuses, would you just stand together? And let's pray together in a standing posture today. I, I just want to ask you, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, and the confession today on every campus is that we have all, at one time or another, struggled with this. We, we struggle in our church, we struggle in our homes, we struggle in our families, we struggle in our marriages. All of us have. But if today this is your struggle and the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to you today about your lack of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, your lack of love for the body of Christ, I, I just want to give you a second to admit that, to admit it to the Holy Spirit, to confess it to yourself. And, and I'm going to ask campus pastors on every campus to come it doesn't matter what campus you're at today. If that's you, you say, I, I got a problem with the body of Christ. I don't love the body of Christ the way that I think God wants me to love it. Would, would you just confess that? Would, nobody look looking except for me. Would you just raise your hand at every campus? Just raise it. Your Battle Creek hands are going up at Midtown. Would you just raise your hand? At Downtown, would you just raise your hand? At DuPage in Chicago, would you just raise your hand? Sitting in that villa in Heliopolis. Cairo would you just raise your hand I got a problem with the body of Christ I don't feel the love of God in me and if that's you which there were dozens of hands in in this room and I'm sure hands at all of our campuses that just went up the diagnostic is either A or B right either A you don't have the Holy Spirit in your life or B you do but you've quenched him and you've shut him out with a hardened heart If you're here today and you say, Pastor Alex, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I got the Holy Spirit in in my life. Then I want to help you settle that right now. Men and women are praying. And they're praying that today could be the day of salvation for you. You can cross that faith line and give your life to Christ. And I want to lead you in a prayer. And and maybe you say, hey, I I, I don't... uh, I don't know how to pray. That's okay. I'll pray it one phrase at a time so that you can just simply repeat that prayer after me. And I'm going to ask those who are sitting around you at all of our campuses today, if you uh, have prayed this already, I want you to pray it out loud as an encouragement to those around you. I want you to pray it out loud as a blessing to those around you who are praying it for the very first time today. And I want you to pray it with volume. And I want you to pray it with gusto like you believe it today. And so right where you're standing, would you just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. Today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord. You call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior, my forgiver, in the best way that I know how. I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me. Listen, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time in your life, the Bible says the angels in heaven are throwing a party for you right now. And if the angels in heaven are throwing a party, we ought to celebrate with them and all of our campuses. And before I say amen, listen, before I say amen, remember there's, there's a whole other side to the equation. B, You got the Holy Spirit. You're just quenching it a hardened heart and maybe it's a wound that somebody delivered to you or maybe it's a wound you delivered to somebody else either way you're living in it and you're living in the personality that those wounds take on and I just want you to know there are people today at all of our campuses that would love to pray with you or for you that's why they came to church today so at all of our campuses in just a moment I'm going to ask if that's you either way a or b for you just to step out say excuse me make your way to an aisle and then to come forward and if you just want to come and pray at the altar you just come and pray at the altar but if you did A or B I just want you to come and, and get one of these volunteers or staff members and just ask them would you pray for me and you might just confess, hey, I, I'm A, or I just pray to receive Christ, or hey, I, I've got this wound, and confess it, and then let them pray over you. And, and some of you are standing right where you're standing on one of our campuses today, and the very thought you're thinking right now is, I can deal with this right here where I'm standing. Here's the point. You haven't. You're walking with it. And you're living in it. The point is you have it. If you could, you would have. And there is something about the body of Christ. And this is a body of Christ issue. And so let the body be the body. Come take another member of the body by the hand and say, I want you to pray over me. And I want you to pray for me. If you pray to give your life to Christ, you just say, hey, I just pray that prayer and I'm in it. And they know where to take it from there. But we're going to just be the body and we're just going to respond as the body. And if you need somebody to pray with you or over you and if you're here at the altar and you need somebody to pray with you, just lift your hand while you're praying and we'll get a, a staffer or a volunteer just to come and, and to pray with you and to pray for you. Let's pray on all of our campuses. Father, in this place, together, we ask that our worship would be appropriate, that our response would be would be the proper response to the teaching and to the truth today and to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we ask that you move with freedom in our midst. Give your kids courage to talk, to pray, to come and and to do the business they need to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Together we all say